Hey guys, it's David. Welcome to Sadness Town. This is the 14th episode of the Sadness Town podcast, recorded Saturday, March 7th at the Roadside Grill in Arlington, Virginia. My guest on this episode is Blaine Jostin, who has published his own annotated version of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Uh, this was a really fun episode. We got into it about some bands that I really used to love, and I had a lot of fun doing it. I want to thank Blaine for coming out. Um, future episodes, I'm going to be doing another one, of course, last Saturday of every month at the Bathtub Republic in Columbia Heights, Washington, D.C. This next one is going to be March 28th. And that's with my friend Pete Bergen. So I hope you guys can make it out to that. And as always, if you want to email me, it's davidsadnesstown at gmail.com. And I think I covered all the rest of the plugs at the end of this episode. So let's get right into it. I hope you enjoy it. This is me and Blaine Jostin. Sadness Town, how are you feeling tonight? Hell yeah, we are podcasting live from the Roadside Grill here in Arlington, Virginia. It is March 7th. As always, I will open with a ceremonial reading from the Sadness Town Charter. Item number one, this is a safe space. We're here to celebrate the fact that although being alive is a cruel and difficult thing, we're all much better at it than we used to be. Item number two, you were not cool in high school. You were a tragic, awkward car wreck of a human being and so was everybody else. Pretensions to the contrary will not be tolerated. Item number three, at the end of the show, everybody hugs. No exceptions. So this first track is called Sex on Wheels. It's by a little industrial rock outfit out of Chicago called My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult. This, well, this song was on the 1991 album Sexplosion! Exclamation point. This album received four stars from AllMusic.com who described it as a deliciously trashy and fun fusion. Uh, this band is probably best known for appearing in the club scene in The Crow. You guys remember that movie? The club scene from that movie? Uh, The famous club scene? Uh, No, I think this one, because it kind of ties in with something that my guest is going to talk about, but I got, I saw this band for the first time opening for Ministry in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and that was the loudest concert I've ever been to. Like, my ears were ringing for days afterwards. I thought this band was awesome. They're so much fun. They're so fucking campy. And I will defend this till my dying day, but what's sad about it is I thought I was really cool driving around blasting this shit in my 1996 Chevy Lumina. Windows down, just unfuckable high school David Twighty. Cruising the mean streets of Bloomington, Minnesota. With this lounge piano. Sex on wheels. So yeah, without getting into this any further, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce our guest for this evening. Uh, this is kind of an unusual show. Uh, this is a listener of the podcast. He is also an author who has written an annotated guide to Pride and Prejudice. Please welcome Blaine Jostin, everybody. How you doing, Blaine? Doing pretty well. Thank you. You ever get into, into any uh, grim and gritty industrial music? Uh, rarely. Occasional sort of Rammstein when I was feeling it. Sure. Yeah. When are you not feeling Rammstein, though? I mean, it's rare. That's my alarm in the morning. I go through the entire day in a, a feeling of sweaty panic. Yeah. I... Uh, yeah, I, uh, this band was weird to see, because la- they were opening for Ministry, which they started out together, but Ministry is very political, like... They just co- so their thing was they were big during the Reagan years, and then the Bush years, Bush one, and then they disappeared for all eight years of Clinton's presidency. But then W got elected, and what do you know? Ministry's back, and they released an album called Houses of the Mole, which I don't—that's a pun, I suppose. I guess it passes the most basic rubric of being a pun, but I don't get it. 
but every track on the album started with the letter W. <laughs> Very clever. But so they were closing the show, and they like had like all these projectors where they put like devil horns on George Bush and stuff, and it's like very heady political stuff. But their opener was this band, which mostly sings about being the devil and fucking people, uh, which is why they were such a good fit for the crow. Uh, so Blaine, where did you grow up? Uh, spent most of my time in Northern Virginia. Okay, where specifically? Uh, Herndon. Herndon. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have applied to a lot of jobs there and never heard back. And was always kind of relieved. Yeah. You're not missing much. Uh, what year did you graduate high school? Uh, 2001. Okay, so you're, you're, uh, you're five years ahead of me. Uh, doing math in my head? Got it. Nailed it. Um... So, yeah, I, I, let's just jump right into this. And uh, this, uh, this first song is uh, not specific to your time period, but it is like, oh, you'll see. just feels good in your bones, doesn't it? Is it like you can't... Right. I'm on a stool, so I can't do... I was listening to this on the, the Metro here, and I only realized after a little bit that the guy next to me was giving me a weird look because I was tapping my feet too forcefully. How this many is, people tried to fuck you? <laughs> most of them, but that's not weird. I mean, that's yeah, just my regular day. Just I live in a I live in a uh, living hell of just... Uh, uh, people molesting me on the street. But this is George Thorogood and the Destroyers with Bad to the Bone. This is the title track off the 1982 album Bad to the Bone. Allmusic.com gave this album four and a half stars, uh, saying, The band is tight as duck feathers. <laughs> is that a thing people say? Or you, you can't just like make a. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. Duck feathers. I mean, you know. You never see a duck with loose feathers, I guess. Uh, but this is a very famous song. This has been featured in such cinematic masterpieces as Terminator 2 and Megamind 3D. Uh, but so when were you into this? Uh, so this uh, primarily was associated with carpooling the high school, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> So uh, our junior and senior year, we could actually drive to high school, and uh, one of my friends, who had a very sort of advanced sense of sarcasm, would blast bad to the bone, roll the windows down, and drive at like one mile per hour into the high school parking lot. And just let the pussy roll in. Uh, nonstop. <laughs> no, it's cool that he made stuttering cool. Not many people have been able to do that. A lot that. of people don't realize that learning disabilities are great for rock and roll. <laughs> Is a stutter a learning disability? I consider everything. Like they a learning send you disability. to the special class. I don't know. I'm not gonna wait to. He's taking up so much time every time he raises his hand. I'm gonna assume he can't read because he's taking so long to talk about. It. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, it's not like he's a good kid at heart. Like, this kid is bad to a very deep part of his anatomy. I'll think of it later. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so you just, just roll up in the joint playing this, uh, which is like, this is the music that would, like, in any number of, like, movies, you know, like, the whole film genre from, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, where there's, like, a nerd who wants the, to fuck the cheerleader or whatever, like... When, when he, like, gets a makeover from, like, some charitable cool kids. And he, like, walks up into the school and this is playing. I gotta be honest, it didn't work. <laughs> Mostly, we were just jerking each other off in the car on the way Which you don't even need this kind of aggressive music for. No. That's well, not the kind of jerk sesh I usually go for. Normally, it's a little Enya. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, something with ambiance. That's yeah, what I go with. Maybe, yeah. yeah, like Stars of the Lid or something. That got real specific. I'm sorry, it's a very obscure <laughs> Irish ambient group. This is a thing, this is a recurring problem on the podcast where I only have four references and all of them are things no one's heard of. 
Like someone will say something, I'm like, oh, like in that David Cronenberg film. What are you talking about? Uh, yeah. So you listen to this, you jerked each other off. It's a classic story. And as a result, your friendship became even closer. It was so close. That summer where you found a body together and jerked off a lot. Yep. This is where we are already. That nasty real We're doing Rob Reiner movies, yeah. uh, but porny. It was um, a good experience sort of being able to drive in together. So this was lame as shit to drive into this and, and sort of um, roll the windows down because um, no one really got sarcastic humor in sort of high school. They would just roll their eyes at you yeah. because you were a loser. Um, uh, but the carpool was, you know, a nonstop adventure because one of my, my other friends who was one of the other drivers was still one of my best friends to this day, but he was not a good driver at all. I think I was in three separate accidents with him in the space of two years. <laughs> Is he here? He's here tonight. I think he drove his car through the front of Ruth. <laughs> I was wondering about that. I thought it was just like a Johnny Rocket sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. where it's like, <laughs> we're an old school diner. We got a car going through the front. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I drove the, the, the old Lumina. I had a 1996 Chevy Lumina, which I had nicknamed the Death Roller. And uh, it had a trailer hitch on the back for no reason at all. It was, I think my parents purchased it from my Uncle Matt for $400 in like 2003. Um, but I, uh, yeah, we did the same. Like, I liked carpooling. I liked driving and carpooling because I got to make everyone else as late as I was anyway. Uh, but we did, it was that, that Sex on Wheels song. And then we also played, uh, it was like the best of the Misfits uh, so, it, like, we thought Last Caress was a really badass song to play. And then uh, The Chronic by Dr. Dre was the other one that we were always... And Pinkerton by Weezer, because we were oh, yeah. sensitive guys. We had our own jerking each other off. Yeah, music. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we would play Butterfly by Weezer and yeah. just touch each other. Just a single tear coming down the eye. Oh, man. <laughs> if I could keep it down to a single tear... Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep going. I fucking love this song. And there's kind of a lead up. Um... These English bands, they can't just get into it. There's got to be like some weird Britpop element up front. I just want to talk right straight down to earth in a language that everyone here can understand. by Chumbawamba. This was the hit single off their 1997 album, Tub Thumper. Uh, this album peaked at no, or this song peaked at number six on the Billboard Hot 100. Uh, it ranked number 12 on Rolling Stone's 100 Most Annoying Songs of All Time. Fuck you, Rolling Stone. You, like, that's how you're trying to rescue your cred by shitting on this beauty? This album received four and a half stars from AllMusic.com, who uh, said this is an album that finds the group downplaying its notorious political radicalism in favor of pop and dance. God, every time! I love this fucking song. Like, I, when I was a kid, I was embarrassed to have liked this song, but... Fuck, fuck all the haters. Fuck you, Rolling Stone. Try to listen to this without, like, a grin on your face. You can't do it. Yeah, I, um, don't necessarily like this song. <laughs> but a part of me loves this song. Yeah. And, uh, I associate it entirely with the beginning of high school. Uh, it has this uh, sort I, of... I, I uh, jumped the gun, sorry. Naive optimism and sort of idiocy to it that... Yeah. Uh, it came out right as I was about to start high school. I would go to sleep listening to DC 101, and this would come on nonstop. And I didn't know what to expect in high school, but I thought it had to be better than middle school, because anything had to be better than middle school. Right. And I would have dreams about riding in the back of a convertible with upperclassmen. 
because I was so fucking cool, they would be like, Kevin, you're the man. I Did love your you. idea of what high school was come from Greece? Exactly. At the end of high I'm school. I'm going to ride in the back of his red convertible. I would have just ascended to the sky with John Travolta. <laughs> and that is Having how high one. school was. And this is the optimism I associate with that. It's, it's idiotic, but it's full of joy and happiness. Yeah, this is a song about the struggle of the working class, for yeah. those of you who have not close read the lyrics. Yeah. Uh, this is a... This band, uh, Chumbawamba, was a, they, they were an anarchist punk band that this was like their ninth album or something, and this was their major label debut. This came out on EMI, and everyone said that they were a bunch of fucking sellouts. But uh, I listened to their earlier stuff. Worse than this. <laughs> Way worse than this. What exactly is worse than this? Anarchist punk music. That sounds right. So, like, the song's over, but there's, like, another minute of bullshit. There's, like, no lyrics to this song. It's, like, Danny Boy, they list a bunch of drinks. Yeah. That's it. A whiskey drink? <laughs> yeah. A lager drink? A vodka drink? He's not specific about what you're doing. He's okay with anything. You're doing vods, vodka sodas? Vodsodes? Are you doing uh, whiskey sours? Yeah, this is still the song. This is not in the radio edit, I don't know. No. No, it just jumps into the part where they say the same shit over and over again. This is where you really hear about the workers of the world. Yeah. Writing. Yeah, it has a message about class. It's about all of us, really. Because what are we all doing but getting knocked down, but then getting up again? You're never going to keep me down until I die, which we all must someday. In preparation for this, I actually looked um, at YouTube comments for this, which you never do in your life. Do not look at YouTube How comments. many of them were about how white privilege doesn't exist? I think it was like 97%. <laughs> yeah. But the very top comment was, I got cancer, it knocked me down, but I got up again. <laughs> Thanks, Chumbawamba. <laughs> they did it, everybody. They cured cancer. Whoever you are... Uh, I hope you're still in remission. God bless you. I hope you're listening right now. But, like, if he's not, he's blaming Chumbawamba? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, it might be a sarcastic... Ch- Maybe he blames them for the initial cancer. Yeah. It's I, like, thank, I got cancer. I'm better now, but thanks a lot, Chumbawamba. Fuck you, Chumbawamba. Exposing me to all those dangerous x-rays. That was another thing that Chumbawamba used to do. They would go around... <laughs> exposing people to dangerous x-rays. That's why their career kind of fell off after that song. People don't like you giving them cancer. I just... I don't know why. That's an observation I've made, too. And yeah. I've been trying to make a stand-up bit out of that. Like, have you all ever noticed... <laughs> I tried in the cancer wards. The Foo Fighters with Hey Johnny Park. This is off their 1997 album, The Color and the Shape, which peaked at number 10 on the Billboard 200, received four stars from AllMusic.com, who said, The Foo's grind out three chord rockers with aplomb. Um, yeah, good for you, aplomb. Way to go, college words. Um,. This song's pretty good until the vocals kick in, and then it's just dog shit. But that opening part, like this part? Mm. Yeah, I can put up with that. I'm gonna have to disagree with you there. Oh man, this fucking stinks, man. I just that's uh, so good. All right. And you're so wrong. I just feel like the Foo Fighters have been good for at most three good songs on each album, and this ain't one of them. Uh, that is, could not be more wrong. It's uh, so good. 
as far as they go, like there are worse ones to lose out to than like Monkey Wrench and Everlong. But... I will agree. Monkey Wrench was a terrible first single. I'm like the world's most sort of vociferous Foo Fighters defender right now. <laughs> Fuck you, Monkey Wrench. I mean, you don't even understand. But I mean, I think they're doing song. okay. They have that HBO series where they pretend to care about music. Yeah, they're driving around doing Sonic Highways of some type. Yeah. But this is a good song. It's such a good song. And I played in a band, and we played this all the time. And I will agree. What was the name of your band? Fat Ringo. Fat Ringo. Okay. That is. To the end of my Fat Ringo, everybody. I will argue that is a great band name because one, it's not clever, and two, it gets less clever each time you hear it. Aha! The B Sharps. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I, like, that's pretty inoffensive. I think. I don't. It was named uh, after one of our friends when we were younger who had a bull haircut and was fat. <laughs> So you can see how it all kind of comes together. It's, oh, I just put it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a thick piece. You made him Ringo too. You didn't even make him a good fat beetle. Well, that, so this is the problem. Like we didn't name him that. It was in a guy in high school. One of these guys was going to drive around in convertible. He looked at him and he said, "Hey, fat Ringo." He could have called him Fat Paul McCartney, but he didn't because he was an asshole. Fat George. I mean, that, yeah. that just sounds like a fun guy to hang out with. I would love Fat George. I'll see him right now. Yeah. It sounds like a pimp from the 1940s. It sounds great. Uh, so you guys played this. Did you do original? Because I, I was in a band. We really never made it to the original material stage. Like, we just figured out how to do a bunch of covers and then started songs and didn't finish them. And that was it. We did originals, but we probably shouldn't have. All right. That's Um, true. The majority of high school bands. Yeah, it's like, I got a great idea, and then you play it for someone else, and like, this is the worst fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. But they're willing to placate you because they're friends. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, it's fun to play music, and it was fun to play this, and I sort of liked writing music, but I certainly wasn't good at it. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I played the drums in a band that kept changing its name. Uh, first we were 52 Weeks, but Weeks was spelled like the opposite of strong. Uh, we were Everyone's Grudge, which was a reference to the Final Fantasy video game franchise. God, we were so unfuckable. Uh, I think those were the only ones we actually performed under. There was a band that was like... It was just like a bunch of the cool guys at my high school had a band where like they they would get together for like talent shows and like cover a classic rock song and they were called The Union so we appeared at, on one variety show we were just doing it for one thing so we called ourselves The Confederacy just to be dicks uh, but yeah that was about it the uh, the popular people playing music just isn't fair yeah that's like, bullshit on, right yeah yeah, yeah. You've already figured out how to do it, do that with your hair, and now you're gonna do Freebird yeah. in front of everybody. Fuck you. We played Freebird. <laughs> Close one. Uh, anyway. Now uh, this does not have anything to do with sort of my ability to play music, but our um, lead singer at one point in time was a six-seven classic rock giant who knew the entire solo to Freebird. Which guarantees you third place in every battle of the bands. Third place? <laughs> Out of how many? It's like four. <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah. But you got the bronze. You, exactly. That's a podium finish anyway. Yeah, we're, you're going to sit here for ten fucking minutes, listen to this guy, all treble, just... <laughs> I also know that entire solo. I just can't play guitar. Uh, yeah, let's keep going here. Accidentally gave you a sample of this one. This is Carlos Santana with Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20. This song is called Smooth. 
This is off the 1999 Santana album Supernatural. Uh, this song peaked at number one on the Billboard Hot 100, and fun fact, this was the last number one Billboard hit of the 1990s. This is... This is the note we ended the millennium on. Is it weird that people thought the world was gonna end? Uh, this album received four stars from allmusic.com, who said, several songs feel like excuses for jams. It was a very stern four-star review. Uh, yeah, everyone remembers this song. It was inescapable for the entire... It was like, it was a number one hit for about six months. It was literally inescapable for me. I hate this song. Um, but I worked at Modell's Sporting Goods, and each month you would get a tape of like the How top old were you at this point? I probably would have been like 16 or 17. Okay. And so the just peak of my sexuality, selling shoes to people. <laughs> um, you would get like 10 songs intercut with Modell's advertisements. And this was non-stop. <laughs> we got tennis shoes. Yes. <laughs> 20% off. <laughs> like, when you want to fuck, you want a baseball glove. <laughs> <laughs> and hang on, hang on. Let's just do this for a little bit. Let's just do this bit. Come to Models this weekend. It's our Labor Day sale. You can get lacrosse sticks, two for one. Uh, uh, baseball shoes. You need those. I am crying, Brent. That feels Come on, so do real. one. Do one. Models. We can't compete on prices, but we've got things. <laughs> So this was like in your face every day, and the only thing that was worse than this at Models was the time when a woman walked out and she said, my son had an accident in the back. <laughs> and I was at cashier and I thought, oh, maybe he spilled his apple juice. <laughs> and I turned the corner and there's a pile of shit. <laughs> It looks like taco meat with Gatorade poured over it. And what do you have to clean it up? A broom and some paper towels? Come to Models, light on cleaning supplies, heavy on deals. I like that they're saying come to Models in the store in this situation. <laughs> On the second floor, we've got baseball caps, fitted and non. Alright, alright, alright. I'm gonna stop this before everyone wearies of it, but I could do that all night. No one can weary of this song. Uh, uh, so, so, you cleaned up the mess. Was that your worst? It's a tough competition between this song and cleaning up baby shit in the middle of a store. Uh huh. Because this song is as bad as baby shit dropped on top of a guitar. Uh huh. I uh no I I, I relate with that feeling so much of like being trapped someplace. Like the worst I ever had was I worked at a famous Dave's barbecue restaurant. That was my first gig and. They just had like a generic blues playlist that was only like eight songs long. So you'd have like every 40 minutes, it's like, hey, a good looking. What you got cooking? I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna fucking shove myself into one of these smokers right now. They really need to just listen to music and not have this sort of idea that they can control everything and force these little interstitial advertisements. I'm going to get the barbecue were... on a garbage can lid. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to sell me on it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So let me listen to the rock music. Right. They were they were ahead of uh, like uh, they were ahead of Spotify in that regard. Like uh, they're like we just we just cram some ads in the middle there. Yeah, exactly. I also I worked at an American Eagle Outfitters when I was in college. I say the full name. I say Outfitters. <laughs> Makes it sound outdoorsy. 
but and they had they had a playlist that wasn't all that bad, but like one of the songs on there was The Underdog by Spoon. And like I get like anytime I hear the trumpets from that song, I get like PTSD, like, oh folding shit. Yeah, working retail is the the worst. So to have any music associated with it just sort of uncovers these horrible memories. So even if you love this song, if you had to listen to it eight hours on loop while you're folding shirts. Yeah, exactly. It's the worst. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm glad that they never did that with something that I would actually want to hear again. Like, I'm glad that I never had a job where they were just playing, like, Surrender by Cheap Trick the entire time. That would be a tragedy. Oh, I totally forgot this was on the list. <laughs> I don't know if anyone at the bar is listening. Oh, could I get another brown ale? Thank you. Baby, when you touch me, I can feel how much you love me. Says it all, doesn't it? I'm getting emotional right now. This is Lone Star with Amazed. This is off their 1999 album. I love this. Lonely Grill. <laughs> if that was a real place, that would be where I'd record this podcast. Uh, this song peaked at number one on the Billboard Hot 100. This album received three stars from AllMusic.com who said, the album is stronger than its immediate predecessor, largely due to the increased grit. (laughs) You hear that gritty sound here? from the streets. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, man. But you're not going to want that grit in your lonely grills. No, you you want to fastidiously brush your lonely grill. Absolutely. Get all the grit out of there before you do your grit, your lonely grilling. Otherwise, you're gonna choke on bullshit like this. Just picturing a guy like flipping burgers in the rain. That is the most beautiful image I've ever thought of in my life. Yeah. I hope that was the cover of this album. Just a man with a single spatula and a hamburger. Just a look. And like his child's grave is in the background. I'm no- <laughs> I'm no hero. I'm just a lonely man with a grill and a spatula. Uh, so this song came out in what '99. So you would have been you. What year was this for you? This would have been, I think, my junior year of high school. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And despite all odds, I somehow acquired a girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. And she was obsessed with the idea that we had to have a song that represented our relationship. And this was the song she chose. A song I hate. I've never had a song with a girlfriend. I have a lot of songs that very vividly represent breakups, but not anything that I shared with someone, I don't think. I don't think you can force it. I think, and this may be old-fashioned, But I believe that someday, when you least expect it, you will travel back through time with your significant other, and you will kill baby Hitler. And whatever is Well, this took a turn. When that happens, that's your song. It doesn't have to be Lone Star. What do you think Hitler's family listened to when he was a baby? It was probably mostly like Wagner. It's just all Wagner. All just this aggressive Teutonic sort of monstrous music to listen to, but that's what you're gonna remember. It's all Rammstein? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Rammstein has always existed. To Hotmish. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is a good one. If you're trying to raise a baby Hitler, you're gonna want play, to play a lot of Rammstein. Yeah. <laughs> At the moment of conception. Yeah. That's the only way to create baby Hitler. <laughs> you have to reach climax during Duhash. 
Is that what the movie? Did you ever see the boys from Brazil? <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's what. That's happens. what happens yeah. in that movie at the very beginning. Yeah. Steve Gutenberg is there, and someone's fucking to do us. It's a pretty good movie. You guys should check it out. Is is that weird? Because Steve Gutenberg's there every time I fuck. <laughs> in spirit, anyway. Yeah. Or wait, do you mean he's literally literally there? there. He's like peeking over the window. <laughs> like a like a Kilroy. Who does yeah. Like, <laughs> He just, just seems interesting. Peering into your bedroom. <laughs> I think he likes it. Well, that's good, because I saw one of those Where Are They Nows about him, and I didn't think that was real, but I guess it is. Where are they now? They're it's like, remember Steve Gutenberg from Police Academy? He's yeah. out there watching you fuck, yeah. And, and Michael Winslow's doing all the sound effects, so yeah. it's like a, a fucking a motorboat. Uh, Bobcat Goldthwait makes it when he can, but he's busy now. He's a director and shit. He's gotten into the classy stuff. He's not so much into watching people fuck. <laughs> uh, that was... Oh, the whole story was that you wanted this to be your song. And I, I fucking hate this song. There's no story to it other than... It was forced on me. Uh, women, am I right? Oh, my God. <laughs> This is Weezer with Hashpipe. This is off their 2001 album, self-titled, but commonly referred to as the Green Album. This song peaked at number two on the Billboard Alternative Tracks. This album received four and a half stars from AllMusic.com, who said, A reminder of how good, nay, great, this band can be. I'll say nay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like... I still like this song. Like this, this bass line is so fucking catchy. Like I don't, I'm a, I'm a real sucker for a good driving bass line, you know. Uh, but this was my first introduction to Weezer because I was, I was 13 when this album came out, so I wasn't aware of like Pinkerton and the Blue Album and shit. Yeah, it's. I think you're right. It's a good song. So uh, when I was in high school, we spent a lot of time listening to Pinkerton and the Blue Album because uh-huh. we were a little bit older. Um, and sort of our, you know, senior year of high school, we spent all this time working on the humor section for the newspaper that only existed thanks to the sort of, uh, friendliness of the editor-in-chief who was our friend and allowed us to fuck up his newspaper for fun. And we listened to Weezer and we went to see them live because they were finally coming back and they were playing all these great songs live. And then this album dropped and this was it. Yeah. It's good, but it's not great. And so yeah. you sort of build this expectation from Pinkerton and the Blue Album, and this comes out, and it's a good album, and I spent a lot of time trying to convince myself I liked it more than I did. But little did I know, this would be like the high point of post Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I don't know what the fuck those guys are doing now. Like, keep cashing your checks, I guess. Like, you earned it. You made some of the best music of the 90s. But, please, like... God, you know, I don't wish an untimely rock star death on anybody. I do. <laughs> but if Rivers had kicked it in 97, he would be a god. Exactly, yeah, this, this is just destroying his legacy. And he would he... be a misunderstood genius instead of a creep who sings about high school romance well into his 40s when he has kids. Yeah, yeah that sort of perversion arc would just kind of end really early on. Yeah. And, you know, if he died tomorrow and they did an autopsy and they said, oh, my God, we found out he had some sort of horrible disease in his brain. And that made him gone, less talented. Yeah, yeah. No one would be surprised. <laughs> I think we'd all say, that makes so much sense. Yeah, it's like, oh, we discovered he had a, a brain tumor and it was in the part of your brain that makes you uh, original or interesting <laughs> yeah. in any way. Yeah, dude, I mean, just, what the fuck are they doing? They're like the BuzzFeed of bands now. Like, they're just like, it's like, you, like, like, ten things about Weezer you only remember you like if you're a child of the 90s. I, I think it's the perfect way to describe them. I mean, they're, they're sort of... Nailed it. 
melodies. Three are beers still in, good. already nursing a hangover. I am the king of analogies. I did very well on my SATs. They write the worst lyrics of all time. Like mm -hmm. the the new album is good in terms of melodies, but they have like a song where they say like punk ass redcoats, and it's about the British are coming. It's like an eighth grader writing a book report. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like, uh, so where I kind of, where I kind of diverge, but like, I, their album Make Believe came out when I was, and they'd been shitty for a couple albums by then. Oh, I think sure. that was, there was one album between that, oh, Maladroit. Maladroit, yeah. And then I think there might have been one other between that and the Green album. I'm not sure. Um, but I, re I bought that album when it came out. That was probably one of the last three CDs that I actually bought. I think it was that, The Information by Beck, and something else. A bunch of used stuff, but that doesn't count. Anyway, I, I remember getting that album, and first of all, they have, um, they recycle stuff from earlier. The, the song Beverly Hills, you guys remember that? was exactly the same song as El Scorcho, but with different lyrics. Like, it was the same beat, same chord progression, everything. And then they also, they also had it, that just opened some eyes here. They also had a song, which I think was the second single, called uh, The Perfect Situation, which opens with the guitar solo from Pink Triangle. Uh... Which uh, another Pinkerton song, and contains the lyric, "I just can't get no play from the girls." You're a forty-year-old man. You have like a beautiful Japanese wife. What are you talking about? I'm tired of people with beautiful Japanese wives complaining about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hashtag beautiful Japanese yeah. wife problems. <laughs> Liking Weezer is sort of like being in a relationship with an abuser. It's like it started out so nice, and they just repeat these same patterns, and they're worse and worse every time, and you believe each album's going to be better. And I'm not comparing myself to a battered woman, but I am. I bought Ratitude. I can't remember who they had produced... Uh, I can't remember who they had produced the, uh, I think Rick Rubin actually produced, uh, the album Make Believe, mm -hmm. which is like, like, hey, Martin Scorsese, we want you to guest direct this episode of Jersey Shore. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, not really, because Rick Rubin has made, like, almost exclusively dog shit for the past 10, 15 years, like... He was also responsible for Stadium Arcadium and a bunch of other, like, Ooh. super mediocre <laughs> albums from bands that used to be good. Uh, but, man. Uh, that's a good question, though. Was Red Hot Chili Peppers ever a good band? <laughs> oh, I would argue yes. I would argue yes. Um, and not just early, early. I'm talking, like, through Californication. I will defend Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, man, the lyrics Even so bad, some though. things on By the Way. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anytime he raps, it's like... Well, oh, I've talked about good. this on a, on a previous episode, but I have the same problem with the Red Hot Chili Peppers that I do with The Doors, where it's difficult to get behind a band where the lead singer is the least talented member. That's a good point. <laughs> Because, like, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, like, they always had... Frusciante's not even there anymore, so fuck them. Like, how can you even call yourself that anymore? He was the most interesting part of it. And, like, they... I, I don't honestly hate the Dave Navarro stuff, like, the One Hot Minute stuff. Like, I thought he was doing interesting stuff. Uh, it's not their best, but it was not boring. I will say that. Like, they did a lot of weird prog rock shit. It was very King Crimson at times. Yeah, I think he sort of builds that kind of weird you know, um, sort of Jane's Addiction sort of stuff into them. And I don't particularly like it. I can respect it. Some of the individual songs off that album are among yeah. my favorite Chili Peppers songs. I really love Warped and Aeroplane is like a fucking That's great a good song, song yeah, a really still. Good song. Um, but no, I mean, the least I would say, the worst I would say about the Red Hot Chili Peppers is it, they, I put them in kind of the same category as... Like, since Californication, I put them in the same category as, like, the Foo Fighters, where it's like, they always had a couple good singles per album, but 
so much fucking fill. Like Stadium Arcadium was like mm. three really good songs, and then like twenty five that didn't need to exist. Yeah. I'm a, this was a Weezer song. We got so in depth on the Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's a lot of rock to choose from back then. We just got one last jam, and uh, oh boy, it was gonna be on the podcast sooner or later. Just letting all the ladies know what guys talk about. Huh, come on. Yeah. Check it out. Dumps like a truck, truck, truck. And guys like what, what, what? Baby, move your butt, butt, butt. I live it, sing it again, sing it again. This is Cisco with Thong Song. This is off his 1999 album, Unleash the Dragon. Uh, this song peaked at number three on the Billboard Hot 100. This album received two and a half stars from AllMusic.com, who described it as short on any real songs. Ouch. So, um, this song is not one I, I particularly like. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I mean, I guess I would say I uh, love it more than anything that's ever existed. You could say that, yeah. But to me, it was a sort of, um, sort of de- point of demarcation in life where it's like, okay, rock music's dead. Let me sing it again. I don't understand current music. I don't understand male sexuality. <laughs> I'm going to retreat from the world. <laughs> Like, he's saying this is what guys really talk about. Do you think that he wrote the song first and then realized that thong rhymes with song? Or do you think that he came up with the title first and worked backwards? I think he worked backwards. I think it's just so immediate. Like, he's probably about to toss a salad and he's like, what is this thing on here? I write songs. Fuck <laughs> song! Like, he just once ate out the ass of a girl with a lisp, and it's like, hey, what, what you got on here? Done. That's a thong. And he's like, oh, she means song. Yeah. I think no, I no, Philly, it's a thong. Yeah. And he's like, oh, a th- that rhymes with another. Sorry, sorry, bitch, gotta go. <laughs> yeah, he gave up, went right to the studio, laid this down. Short on real songs. That's the meanest thing that allmusic.com has ever said about it. Although I couldn't tell you another Cisco song. Oh, God, no. I think we all agreed that this was it for Cisco. For a second, I was like, no, he had another single, but then I was thinking of Shaggy. This could have been a -a make-a-wish situation. (laughs) Well... I'm going to look up what it was, because I think it was not another teen movie, but Cisco appeared, like, had a short-lived acting career. Does anyone remember this? I think it was in some movie with, like, Melissa Joan Hart. Clarissa Explains It All. He was in the, the movie version of Clarissa yeah. Explains It All, the movie? Clarissa, Clarissa Portrait of a Serial Killer. Clarissa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, Rooker was great in that. That was so good. A lot of people think Michael Rooker started out with, uh, uh, but, uh, with Walking Dead. No, he's been around a while. He was in Clarissa, <laughs> Portrait of a Serial Killer. Yeah, he would come up that ladder to her window. Okay, so Cisco has been in four films. In 2001, he was in, ti- he was in a movie entitled Get Over It. In 2002, he was in a movie you might remember called Snow Dogs. <laughs> That Cuba Gooding Jr. masterpiece. Might remember, I can't forget. That was when he became Cuba Gooding Sr. in my mind. He impregnated Uh, one of the snow dogs? In 2000... In 2000... (laughs) Yes. Yes, and then... Then he did Men of Honor after that, but nobody cared. In 2003, he was in a film called Pieces of April... Uh, that was a movie about where they shattered a girl named April. And then in 2006, he was in a film called Surf School, which doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. 
That was the cul-de-sac that, that uh, Cisco's career ended in. Uh, but yeah, this is another song that was completely inescapable for about a year. And I, I'm surprised to find out it only reached number three on the Hot 100. I would have thought it would hit number one. It seemed very ubiquitous at the time. And certainly, I mean, it could have been this sort of, um, you know, you're, you're going to sort of prom and that sort of thing. And this is nonstop expecting you to just grind your crotch into someone to this. Hell yeah. yeah like, Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. I got some real sweaty middle school dance memories about this song. Tell me more. I don't think I will. Fair enough. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for my guest, Blaine jo- uh, Johnston, everybody. Yeah. Really fucked that up. Blaine, do you have a, do you have any anything that you would like people to purchase of yours, or anything you'd like to plug, or anything like that? Uh, sure, you can uh, go and find my book, Blaine Jostens, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, um, wherever books are sold, unless that's a location where physical books are sold. In that case, they definitely won't have it. So I'd probably go to Amazon in that case. So that's just the best way to go. Um, so yeah, search for Blaine Jostens, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, and uh, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for being on it one more time. For previous episodes of the podcast, as well as future recordings, you can go on my website, davidtwitey.com. That's David, T-V-E-I-T-E dot com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Twite Privilege. Uh... <laughs> And please like the show on Facebook, Dave, uh, Sadness Town with David Twitey. And uh, all that said, just remember, nothing is going to be okay. Mm-hmm.